Support for Pivot comes from Vanta. When it comes to ensuring your company has top-notch security practices, things can get complicated fast. Now, you can assess risk, secure the trust of your customers, and automate compliance for SOC 2, ISO 27001, HIPAA, and more with a single platform, and that platform is Vanta. Vanta's market-leading trust management platform helps you continuously monitor compliance alongside reporting and tracking risk. Plus, you can save time by completing security questionnaires with Vanta AI. To learn why thousands of global companies use Vanta to automate evidence collection, unify risk management, and streamline security reviews, watch Vanta's on-demand demo at vanta.com slash pivot. That's V-A-N-T-A dot com slash pivot to watch Vanta's on-demand demo. Support for Pivot comes from Pendo. Pendo improves the apps your customers and employees rely on. Whether you're building applications for customers or managing applications for employees, Pendo can help deliver better experiences for your users so they can get more value from your software. Visit pendo.io slash pivot to learn more about how your team can use Pendo to start building better digital experiences. There you can also check out Pendo's lineup of free certification courses, 12 hours of in-depth training for your product management teams on topics from AI to product analytics to product-led growth. That's pendo.io slash pivot to learn more. Hi, everyone. This is Pivot from New York Magazine and the Vox Media Podcast Network. I'm Kara Swisher. And I'm Scott Galloway. So, Scott, tell people what you had done today, what the procedure you had done today, and we should urge everyone to do them. Yeah, I'm at that age where, like, every time I go into the dermatologist, they're like, yeah, we should probably take that off and biopsy it. <laughs> that looks funny. I just went, and I'm I'm literally five pounds lighter. I left a, a lot of my person back at the dermatologist this right. morning. Right. Do you feel good? You feel safe? We want you around for a long time, Scott. I appreciate that. I um yeah. I it, look it, the key to any of this, and I actually thought about going. I haven't had a colonoscopy in six years, and when Katie Couric was on your show, yeah. I think a lot of things. But first and foremost, I think about having a probe go up my ass. But anyways, yeah. I'm going to go get gentle. a colonoscopy. Good. Well, they put you out. They use that awesome they put drug you that out. Michael Propofol. Jackson was on. Propofol. They do. Oh, that shit I is had gangster. It done. It's really great, actually. That is a great you drug. Eat, you drink stuff before. This me feel like the geriatric. Oh, Scott, let me tell you. You drink stuff before and it cleans you out. Like you can't, like things that I ate. That when I, like is glue, the understatement of the century. What, glue, cleans you out. Glue from like kindergarten was in there. Paste that I ate was in there and it came yeah. out. And every, you feel so clean and fresh. It, it, weirdly, it's a good thing to do. Good. I'm glad. When are you going? Did you I'll go? I'll give you the other version of that. Okay. I drank the same liquid yeah. and I felt as if I had a dam release out of my innards. I thought I was shitting out a lung. Well. I mean, I could not believe <laughs> how much it takes out of you. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, sorry to go there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyways, went to the dermatologist. I feel much better. Good. You should. Everybody, we suggest you do any and all things that get scored off at all kinds of cancers because uh, a lot there of preventative go. care is better. Um, so uh, what should we talk about? There's so much going on. Um, we could talk about There's Succession. That was good last night. I think everyone was all excited. Uh. How much do we love success? It was do you really love good. it as much as I do? Yeah, I do. I'm doing a podcast about it. Yes, I'm a super fan. I'm a crazy super yeah. fan. Yeah, it was good. It was really nice. good. And the, and there's more to come. I can't, I've seen some episodes. So it's one of those things where it's good like, writing. I am, I'm disgusted by everybody on the show and yet would like to have sex with all of them. Yes, it's, they're it's, handsome it, people. It straddles that line. Also, uh, in terms of super fan, mm-hmm. 
Uh, I'm, th- I'm seriously contemplating getting a tattoo that says Cousin Greg. Oh, right. I'm kind of obsessed with I just with got him. a press release about some vibrator that goes on every time he says something. I oh, yeah, every time it goes in, it comes in the room. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I read about that, too. Yeah, I, I think I'm not going to talk about that. Yeah, the, yeah, I think the writing is beautiful. I'm interviewing one of the writers. I, I did, and it's for the third episode, I think. And uh, it's quite, she's quite, she's a playwright. She's a really, she's, they're all such good writers. It's crazy good. You're right. They're, they're terrible people you care about. Does that make sense? Sense? That makes sense. They've done a nice job with that, and so, yeah, it's and it's close enough to business that it may it's believable in many ways, especially all the antics that happen behind the scenes. But speaking of antics, Netflix employees will stage a virtual walkout on Wednesday to protest statements by Ted Sarandos regarding Dave Chappelle's new special. Uh, it also announced its quarterly earnings today. Uh, Squid Games may be worth nine hundred million dollars. I mean, this was a good mm-hmm. choice. They they're quite good on. Certain, you know, it's interesting because some of the stuff that got released with Dave Chappelle shows that what they pay him, they don't get back. Like they got back less than they pay him. And then certain mm-hmm. things, like there was a show by another guy, and I can't remember, I'm blanking on his name, but he he cost this and made a ton of money. Obviously, Squid Games is a big deal. Squid Game, excuse me, not Squid Games. Squid Game uh, is mm-hmm. um, is. Oh, it'll be games. There's going to yeah, be sequels. There's going to be sequels, and they're doing real ones. But it's interesting. Yeah. Well, you think nothing will happen about this? It'll just pass. They like they like their radical transparency at Netflix. Everyone says their piece and then moves on. Yeah. Uh, Listening. Well, the Chappelle thing, the Chappelle thing is really, I mean, it's gotten bigger and bigger. And it's, I think it's really interesting. And there's, it's, I think it's promoting, you know, progress is a function of conflict and debate. And I think we're having a lot of good yeah. dialogue here. Yeah. Uh, I think it's important. Um, you know, comedy is supposed to provoke. Yeah. And the, the, I've been thinking a lot about this lately. The wonderful thing about comedy is that it disarms you and you don't immediately go to your corner and, you're more open to evolving around thought or at least thinking mm-hmm. through issues as opposed to going, okay, this person said this, so I'm, I'm just immediately, or it was on this network, I'm immediately against it. And good comedy is supposed to provoke. They, they have to straddle a line between provoking and just saying something dumb and offensive that's wrong, yeah. especially in this era. And he has the power to do it. Yeah. Uh, the thing I I don't like about it, or the thing I was thinking about is that I, everyone's going after, or a lot of people are going after Netflix. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of people are going after uh, Chappelle. A lot of people are going after the trans people who complain, just so you know. I wrote a column about it, and I got plenty of that. But go ahead. Well, that's right. That's right. And my, my feeling is this dialogue is really important and productive. I mean, I, I'll, I'll give you an yeah. example. George Takei came out with a tweet, and he said, replace every time he referenced the trans community mm-hmm. with, with the Jewish community or Asians. Well, he did a few. And jokes that and I thought he really I thought this is really interesting. He's right. The reaction would have been swifter and harsher. But what I don't what I think is unfortunate about our present state is that rather than having a dialogue, eighty mm-hmm. percent of our energy goes to I think I disagree. I want to move to destruction. Yeah, I would agree. I, I, I have hold- to say the reaction that I got. To, I wrote a column about it in the Times, and um, yep. it was uh, it was interesting. Everyone's like. You don't want him to talk. I'm like, I said he was gifted, and I literally was so nuanced. I was, I gave what we mm-hmm. talked about the day before. I was like, I said I like him. I said I think he's talented. I, he's usually funny. This wasn't funny. Like that's all. Mm-hmm. Like, and then someone was like, you like Hannah Gadsby, and she didn't do as well. I'm like, and I like zucchini, and maybe you don't. Like, I don't. I think he went. Did too you see far. Hannah's statement? Yes, I did. Indeed, I did. really shocked me. It's interesting. The critics love Hannah. Mm-hmm. The audience 
yeah, doesn't as much. Tough. And she's the critics tough. don't like the critics don't like. That's not uh, true. They Chappelle. kiss. Oh my God, Dave Chappelle gets like kiss, 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 licked kiss, up and down, as up you would and say. down from the critics. They you just don't have to like this set. That is the the, the inability for you right. to say I don't like this. I think he went. He like he went yep. on too long. And, went and on we too long that. is what I would say. Yep. Went on too long. That's what I would say. Not that he shouldn't have talked about it. Anyway, whatever. But it's bringing up it's bringing up an important dialogue, and mm-hmm. it's sort of and what I take from it is okay. So there are people out there who feel like the transgender community's restrictions around nomenclature and how and when words are used, uh, they feel it's too tight, yeah. and we can't have an open conversation. On the other side, it just feels as if people should show demonstrate a little bit more grace and go. This community yeah. has just That's taken exactly so much right, Scott shit. Galloway. That's exactly that my point. Maybe we would want to give them. Let's come to an agreement where they're going to say, all right, if we want to have an open dialogue around giving uh, uh, schools that let kids identify with a different gender and start taking hormones without their parents' permission, that's a worthwhile conversation. And we shouldn't be labeled as turf. And at the same time, to not acknowledge that this community has just has been so has yeah. has endured such incredible hostility. It, it feels there's got to be a meanings of the mind where we're a little bit more hard. generous. It is hard. It's with very each other. hard. I, you know, it's the same thing on Pete Buttigieg and the parental leave. All the the, the that's just homophobia. It, it was crazy. That's just straight up homophobia. <laughs> like, I'm, like, I'm a father of four. I'm like you've never touched a diaper, sir. Like I'm a mother of four. So they're they're not going after the husbands of of straight couples. No. They and they make comments like he's learning how to breastfeed. That's just pure. I that know. that. That is just such a whistle call for homophobia. I know, it really is. Uh, it's like pro wrestling with these people. Um, and you know what scares what? me about all of this? Yes. So I apologize. I worry that we're going to lose the house because of this. I think Bernie Sanders summarized it perfectly, and he said people are t- sick, sick of talking about bathrooms. Mm-hmm. I think that the Democratic platform should be, we're for civil rights, full stop. Yeah. But I think if they if they take the bait and start talking yeah. about trans rights and make it a big part of their platform, I think the, a lot of yeah, people are going to go, these people are out of When is the touch. right time? Honestly, I, you know, it's exa- it reminds me of oh, when gay marriage was going on. Was this going to lose us yep. this? Too bad. And then we lose. Then we lose. Then we don't have, then we can make better arguments. But in any case, we have to move on. But yep. uh, this is for some little red meat for you. Harvard announced that its endowment grew to $53.2 billion. Endowment produced fewer returns than most major universities. Yale, for example, had returns of 40% compared to Harvard's 33.6%. That's a lot of moolah. So what do you think about well, that? Well, look, the Ivy League has decided that they're a Birkin bag, they're not public servants. Mm-hmm. And they can grow their endowment. I mean, g- get this, Harvard <laughs> Harvard was only up 34%. MIT's was up 56%. Yeah. Brown was up 52%. Probably bought tech. And yet, yet their year-on-year increase in freshman seats. How many? 1.2%. Yeah. They decided to increase because they've decided that anyone who already has a degree and the faculty there like to get around in a big circle jerk and talk about we're Birkenbags. Aren't we just amazing? And instead of taking this transformative experience called higher education and the incredible certification and opportunities that Harvard and the Ivy League does afford people, yeah. we've decided to pull up the bridge behind us. It is just such a two billion dollar. What the hell? Why aren't why aren't they educating every giving everybody a Harvard education? Well, Honestly. why on earth? And, I, and by the way, I don't believe everyone has the right to go to college. I, I don't believe everyone has the right to go to Harvard. But for God's sakes, right. we salute getting Google. We we grow Google 40% a year. Mm-hmm. We grow Facebook 60% a year, but we can't grow. I'm, I've written off the Ivy League. A yeah. bunch of self-aggrandizing, I, you know, arrogant jerks. I may interject. But we can't grow. Hold on. We can't grow the University of North Carolina or Michigan yeah. or great public schools more than 2% a year. I was talking to a student yesterday who's trying to get in a bunch of schools, um, wants to go to MIT. So I introduced her to my ex-wife. And one of the things 
she was saying was like, this is the percent, you know, this is the how many get in versus how many apply. And it was, they were all these no, like tiny number percentages. And she was just saying them. And I said, is that a good thing? And she didn't, she was like, what? And I said, it's not a good thing. That's a bad statistics. Right. And it was the first time she was like, oh, you're kind of right. The student, because they, they get them on these like hamster wheels of like achievement. And it, it's just, this person deserved to go to all of them. So many good qualities. And it just was sort of, I don't know, left as dark taste in my mouth or whatever, bad taste. It's done two things. It's turned spring into what used to be a joyous but nervous uh, moment or season for a lot of households who were were fortunate enough and blessed enough to have kids who are college capable and turn it into the season of despair. I mean, it really is. This is just crushing for some kids and their parents. They get arbitraged down because of this corrupt cartel called higher education where we all raise our prices in concert with one another. And we all arbitrage them down to a Hyundai for a Mercedes price and affect um, a, a reallocation of capital from middle-class homes mm-hmm. to the faculty and administrators and endowments of these of this incredibly corrupt cartel. Yeah. cartel. And it's, it's devastating Ooh. for young people. It's, it's just... Why on earth we we think Google's great? Okay, let's scale it forty percent a year. Who who has an argument with the University of North Carolina? Mm-hmm. Who has an argument with the life changing, better society? Let me ask you something: Are we better off with with Facebook tripling in the next five years, yeah. or are great public yeah. schools tripling their enrollment okay. in the next five years? You know like, they should, where they would should we, have like where would the world they should be have better? You get in to go to the actual campus, or you get in online. Like you get a, if you're like I don't know, they get they got to the briefing hybrid. Hybrid Hybrid teaching, different, by universities that are failing and create more space. Yep, space. Uh, Online learning. Scott and Kara want to go to Harvard, Harvard. (laughs) Ready. (laughs) Can you imagine us? That would be a sitcom. Neither of us could get in, could we? No, No, I want to go to a place with a good football team. Um, That's not Harvard. Sports are fun. We have to move on to big stories. I allowed you to rant. And a Greek system. Yeah. I was president of the Fraternity Council. You can be the president. I'm not going to join a fraternity with you. That is never happening. so much fun. I'm the person that says, you know who I am? I'm the person that goes, quiet down. That was who I was in college. Hey, kids, you're making a lot of noise. Anyway, um, first big story. More bad news for teens on social media. This time it's TikTok. Doctors are reporting. This is the strangest story. Uh, Young female patients developing tics. The Wall Street Journal says that TikTok may be to blame. Videos tagged with Tourette's have over a billion views on TikTok. Some of the most followed Tourette's influencers report getting new tics from watching others. I don't even understand this. Meanwhile, The Guardian identified two dozen TikTok hashtags associated with eating disorders. The tagged videos have billions of views. Facebook's, of course, not out of it. They're the original, the OG on this one. The Times reports that Facebook targeted teenagers with nearly all of its marketing budget starting in 2018. What a surprise. Its goal was to get users as young as 13 into the Facebook ecosystem however they could, especially Instagram, I'm guessing. Meanwhile, new documents in the Facebook files show that the site's AI is bad at catching hate speech and violence. Facebook employees estimate it catches only a low single-digit percent of posts that violate its rules. Overall... Here we are again, and now we're with, with Tourette's ticks, which I, do, I didn't even understand this story. Scott, please go on. I don't know about you, it's but this story, absolutely. just so you know. This is, is yeah, it's, I mean, that's the problem. Uh, we really don't, and I'm going to acknowledge a lot, of the, a lot of the stuff I put forward about a link between Instagram and teen depression. There hasn't been great research. There's not yeah. conclusive research showing if, in fact, it does cause that's teen true. depression. There's a lot of anecdotal evidence, but a lot of it is these platforms don't want to give data to researchers. But anyways... 
I saw this, mm-hmm. and it really chilled me. I thought, first off, it seemed weird. Mm-hmm. I mean, supposedly a lot of kids are coming in to therapists and repeating the word beans over and over. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just, we are going, we're sort of in uncharted territory yeah. here around the young brain and how it evolves and what can Propaganda. set it off. Ampliganda. Do you remember there was a horror movie, like literally 20 or 30 years ago, where if kids watched this show and they were wearing a mask, like they their, their yes. head turned into Yes, or melted. else the, the, the Tide Pod. But the best thing, nobody owes Chappelle more uh, than Facebook right now, because all of a sudden the news cycle has moved away from these yeah. extreme dieting sites that Facebook was recommending to, to, to girls struggling with eating disorders. Now it's gone to, now it's gone to Chappelle, yeah. but there is... I was really, I, I mean, I don't know about you, I was incredibly rattled to see this. The 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 thing I, I just wanted to share. It's all speculative too, but I don't, it's, it, yeah, but it's knows, being right? reported, which is anecdotal, which is, it's just, what it is, is I had a really interesting interview with Maria Ressa, who just won the Nobel Prize. Yep. And she was talking about this sort of stuff. She's the one that was very early in 2016, 17. She was one of the few people who were talking about this, especially because she was the subject of this these attacks, especially mm-hmm. on Facebook. She spoke to Mark Zuckerberg directly, who almost completely ignored her. In any case, she was talking about it in a way, a new way. She's like, it's behavioral, it's behavioral change is what's happening here on a mass scale. Not that it hasn't happened before, but it's on a mass scale in a, in a way with propaganda that works, that really works on shifting the human brain. I thought that was pretty probably correct. Yeah, it's 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 fascinating. I think that there is there's going to be more and more conversations around yeah. health. 230 and health and removing some of these limits. I love the idea that's been put forward. I had uh, lunch with Jeff Bukas and he he highlighted this idea that seems so elegant to me that you remove 230 if a platform uses its algorithm to elevate content because effectively it's just, it's become an editor at that point. Yeah. Yeah. And that's when, similar to Fox mm-hmm. or CNN, that's when they're liable is when they choose to use their platform for profit yep. to elevate and possibly defame or, or spread content that with a little bit of fact-checking, they could find out there's no veracity to. And yep. I, think, I think that's an incredibly elegant solution. I'm going to write about it this week in my numerous you know, malice posts. Yep. I think that the 231, if you will, should be legislation that says those, those protections are removed the moment an algorithm identifies content, decides mm-hmm. to elevate it, because you become a publisher, you're not a platform at that point. Yeah. Well, I agree. I think it's really interesting. It's an interesting time. And I think one of the things is is the amplification part. That's, I, I want to say this has existed before. I mean, we've all, you mm-hmm. know, we've all, there have been mass crazes among teens, et cetera, et cetera, forever. But I do think this, I, uh, working on the brain and the repetitive nature of it and the propaganda nature of it is a, something that I think researchers should really be able to have access to so they understand it and making mm-hmm. the links or not. I suspect it's not, it's just an amplified version of things that have happened before. And it re-stress, if you're, if you also have an eating disorder, having this much support, and I hate to call it support, but that's what it is, makes you more, you know what I mean? It just, it solidifies things. And of course, people can't get enough of it is the problem. It's it's addictive. It's just addictive. And that's, I, I just think all this stuff should be open for study. And I suspect we'll find out things that are not. Well, we're great. raising a generation. It's just no accident that some of the biggest movies are now about the multiverse. I just yeah. saw Free Guy. Oh, was it And good? my kids, uh, well, Ryan Reynolds is just, yeah. is, is, is got fantastic presence and humor and he's, he's handsome and uh, I, I, I could almost watch anything he does. Yeah, I think he's true. great. And then Jodie Comer, who's from what mm-hmm. arguably I think is one of the best uh, original scripted series of the last five years, Killing, um, Eve. Killing Eve. She's in it and she's fantastic. She but anyway, my point is 
we're, we have a whole generation of kids that essentially, especially for the last two years, mm-hmm. their entire socialization was done in these metaverses, mm-hmm. whether it was, you know, whether it's Snap, whether it's Fortnite, whether it's, um, you know, Assassin's Creed. This is how they're socializing. And I noticed that with my boys, especially my youngest, once he goes beyond a certain number of hours in front of a screen, yeah. I don't know what the right yeah, term is, he becomes this. an enormous asshole. And and uh, we're, we're in uncharted territory in terms of, and people say, and then they'll always revert to, well, they made the same thing about rock and roll. And no, this is different. Or TV, this is different. There's something about the interaction here, the stimulus, the the action, reaction, response mm-hmm. that does rewire your brain. Yeah. The only and, thing is we don't uh, want to become like those people who are like, that Elvis with his swiveling pelvis is very disturbing. Well, that's the argument. <laughs> that's the argument. It did uh, have an impact. But there's something deeper here. There yeah. really is something yeah. deeper. I think there's a lot of evidence. Yes. Famous um, psychiatrist, Kara Swisher and Scott Galloway, who went to Harvard. That's right. <laughs> go, that's right. Let's go to Harvard. Soon to be Harvard graduates. Let's go to Harvard. Harvard. At the, do you know what? Can I tell you what I do to Harvard Delray people? Delray and Calorama campuses of Harvard. I told you what I do to Harvard that's people, right. don't you? Because they always mention they went to Harvard. What do you do to Harvard people? You know, even if 30 years hence they have been to Harvard, they tell you they went to Harvard within 15 minutes. What I did would do is when they say that, they go, you know, they mention it and I go, where? And they go, Harvard. I go, MIT is such a good school. It's Boston, right? And they're like, no, Harvard. I go, Yale? And I just, I like, I literally, (laughs) and they go, they they don't get that I'm completely making fun of them. Okay. So how to tell someone you're an asshole Mm -hmm. without telling them you're an asshole Mm -hmm. Say you went to school in Boston. That's you pretending to be coy and humble, but you want everyone to know you went to Harvard. No one says, no one who goes to Boston College or MIT says, I went to school in Boston. That's only Harvard. (laughs) It it, it drives me insane when someone says, well, I went to school in Boston. I'm like, oh, that's you saying you went to Harvard, but you want to pretend not to be a self-absorbed asshole. Oh, man. You want to tell everyone you I'll went to Harvard sure. without telling them you went to Harvard. So then I'm Anyways, just going to fix that. Very good. All right. Very good. We know what to do at Harvard, people, because we're just jealous. Um, all right, Harvard. Let's we go. Uh, all right, Harvard. Your new name is Harvard. Let's go on a quick break. And when we come back, we'll discuss LinkedIn's China exit. And we'll talk to a friend of Privet, Christopher Mims, about supply chain issues, because it's very important these days. Vacations can be tricky. You already know how to book flights and hotels, but now the only thing you're missing is, you know, the actual travel experience. Because is it really a vacation if you're just sitting around like you would at home? You need a tool to get the most out of your time away. That's where Viator steps in. You can book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Support for this podcast comes from Constant Contact. If you're a business owner, you already know that it's really, really hard to cut through the noise of everyday life. 
If you want to connect with your customers, you need to break through the noise. You need Constant Contact. Constant Contact is a marketing platform that makes it easy to reach new audiences, grow your customer list, and connect over email, text, social media, and more. Whether you're a marketing guru or just learning the ropes, Constant Contact offers writing assistance tools and automation features that make it simple to say the right thing at the right time. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. Okay, we're back. Microsoft's LinkedIn announced on Thursday it will shut down its Chinese version of the website because of China's censorship rules. In March, China's internet regulator told LinkedIn they had 30 days to uh, start better moderating their content, resulting in the blocking of a number of China-focused activists and journalists. The company announced it would be launching a China-specific version later this year, solely based on jobs, resumes, etc., ditching the social features. Of course, it is a social network. People don't think of it that way. The site was the last major Western social media platform to operate in China. So, was this the right move? I don't. I feel like something else happened here because they had been operating. It's just China's crackdown that's going everywhere. I guess it's a big market for LinkedIn, third largest. Yeah, I, my sense is that you know China isn't China isn't becoming more open. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> and that they, whatever constraints they place on these companies, I think have only gotten more arduous or, or more authoritarian. Mm-hmm. So, and also I think a lot of companies have decided we can be very successful without the China market. Mm. You know, it, it, it's really interesting. The kind of the ultimate buy signal is when China bans you. Is it? You know, when they ban Google, they ban Facebook, they ban crypto. I mean, it seems like when they ban someone, it, that's when you buy. Yeah. Well, LinkedIn's trying to, to to play it down, but it is an important market for them. It just is. It's their third most important market. Obviously, they're they're sort they're, of like tucked into Microsoft, so they can ha- they have a lot more choices. But the idea that they thought they could operate, you know, I suspect people were using it more like a social network there. Um, even mm-hmm. if, And so they're keeping the job part of it. But part of the key, the key part of LinkedIn is the social element to it, even though you don't, it's just a useful social element um, versus, you know, some of the others. I mean, I, you never hear about problems on LinkedIn because most people are talking about jobs, but there's still a social element to it. But it's a challenging operating environment, to say the least. Yeah, no doubt. So, wh- wh- what 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 do you imagine the Chinese can do in this case with all these people leaving, essentially, and and then them pushing their own pushing down innovation? I would say in their own markets by their own companies. Yeah, but if you if you were to look at the arc of we like to talk our own narrative about free markets mm-hmm. and how it's it's really bad if it, if Italy kicked out Google, it would be bad for everybody and, you know, the pasta would get worse. And we come up with this narrative that is uniquely American and focused on Mm -hmm. letting our innovators uh, go. Free markets are a very powerful concept. But if you look at what China's done, okay, so Italy let Google come in, Italy let Facebook come Mm -hmm. in, you know, (laughs) what's happened to Italy's media companies, wages, uh, tech sector? And then if you look at China, China's gangster move is they let them in long enough to steal their IP. And let's be honest, it's IP theft. And then they kick them up, kick them out, and they prop up a local entrepreneur, and they capture the majority of the value themselves. Mm-hmm. And they have a large enough market and strong enough universities and a strong enough technology and a strong enough financial ecosystem, venture ecosystem to support uh, homegrown companies. And a lot of, you know, we like to think, oh, it's 
uh, and I'm not talking about the morality or the autocracy or IP theft. I'm not blessing any of it. Mm -hmm. But China could have let these companies just run unfettered there. Instead, they said, no, we're going to steal your shit, similar to what we did with the textile manufacturers in the 19th and 18th century here in the U.S. with British uh, and European uh, manufacturing technology. They kick them out, and then they prop up, and they capture all the value themselves. Yeah. And I think it's hard to argue from a state standpoint that they're, that was probably the right move. Yeah. Yeah. But at the same time, listen, well, this is a story from the journal. Beijing once touted the LinkedIn model, which involves a contractual relation between its headquarters and the Chinese right. nationals who actually own the platform in the country as a way for global internet businesses to access its market. Such a model provided the overseas headquarters little control over the China operation. It was never popular in Silicon Valley. Um, and again, this is not just the only one. Twitter it's Twitter and Facebook's platforms been blocked since 2009. Alphabet's Google left by themselves on their own accord in 2010 after declining mm -hmm. to censor results. Chat messenger app Signal and audio discussion app Clubhouse were blocked. So it's just, mm -hmm. I, I, this is a really interesting story. We aren't paying as much attention to it. But LinkedIn, you can see how LinkedIn might be able to thread the needle because yep. it's less politics. Yep. It's less, you know, people aren't, don't plan insurrections or mm -hmm. revolutions on LinkedIn. Uh, it's very much. No, they don't it, want those activists I, and journalists there. It doesn't matter. They don't want, they want to, to, to stifle dissent in any way possible. Agreed. Uh, I, I absolutely love LinkedIn. Yeah. Uh, I don't, resp I no longer respond to people on any platform except LinkedIn. LinkedIn really? enforces identity. Mm -hmm. People are much more civil. They, uh, the difference in LinkedIn is that people assume you're coming to the table in good faith, not in bad faith. And I find every other platform, everyone assumes you come to the table in bad faith and is looking to dunk on you yeah. or you don't know who's responding to you and why they're responding to you. And LinkedIn, in my opinion, is the most civil, mm -hmm. productive, That's what they were trying to do in China, China and it didn't network. work. They had been, yeah. they'd come under a lot of criticism for doing that. But, you know, even they yeah. thought it was too much, uh, too much censorship, essentially. Um, and, you know, China LinkedIn. and Microsoft are at odds sometimes. Um, even though they meet and everything else. So it's a really, um, and then of course, Microsoft was dragged into the, uh, the TikTok thing, if you recall. They were going to be one possible well, buyer. By Trump for a hot minute. Yeah, right? yeah. Well, as you know, when I interviewed Sachin Adela recently, he was like, "Oh, this was." Good. When I, the reason that I really, oh, when I smoke cigars and you know spread, <laughs> spread moisturizer on the CNN small of Sachin's back, that he said did to you, me. By the way, did you see Casey Hunt? I hope she's okay. Yeah. She has a brain issue. Benign. Benign. Yeah, but it was benign. It was benign. And yeah. the prognosis is really good. Yeah, I just was like, really oh, good. you're going to have to carry the whole thing. That penis. was shocking. It was. It was a surprise. As a small kid, I, yeah. let's hope she gets better. Because, you know, she she needs to be there to watch you. That's the only my particular thing. You think? Yeah. Did On you see flu. me in my red dress marching around I saw. What the other day filming? What were you doing? We're going to bring on Chris Mintz, um, but let, let's have a moment for that. Let's not talk about China and global issues. Let's talk about why you're wearing a red dress. Let's talk about daddy and Were you and signaling um, China? No, uh, I was doing a rundown of the recent S1s, Allbirds, Warby Parker, yeah. on running, and of course, Rent the Runway. And so I oh, put on, I was obviously. wearing something from all of them. And I was walking around Soho with like you know, yeah, 12 people cared. from CNN and tow. Yeah. And people just stopped and started filming and screaming at me. It was so nice. Oh, it good. was very rewarding. Good. Wait, this it was, was really is nice. this going to be on CNN? You in a dress? 
Yeah, I don't know if you've heard. I have a show with I CNN understand Plus. you're on the plu. I know you're on the plu. The plu. But the plu. But, but you're gonna. You weren't. They let. You, I think you found your people. They let you wear a dress. That's great. Yeah, I look nice in that dress. Y- you did the, the shoes. I have more legs Amanda than a bucket of like chicken. Shoes. Amanda did not like. I know you were wearing one was an on and I one get, was an all. I know. I know what you were doing. I know what you were doing, but she yeah. didn't think it worked for you. She thought you look good in a pair of heels. That's what she said to me. My I'd be wife. six foot five in heels. I'd be irresistible oh in heels. I would be <laughs> okay. irresistible in let's heels. Let's bring on that note. Let's bring on Christopher Mims. Yes. Let's bring in our friend of Pivot, Christopher Mims. Christopher is a technology columnist at the Wall Street Journal and author of a new book, Arriving Today, a book about global supply chains, which is perfectly timed because of all the controversy about global supply chains right now. Uh, welcome, Christopher. How are you doing? Good. How are you guys doing? So let, talk to us of global supply chains. Um, let's talk about the now. This, you know, it's in the news a lot. Obviously, nobody talks about global supply chains very much, but now they are with shortages in all kinds of areas. Um, so uh, so less products, obviously, on the shelves. And also there's less employees right now because of the big quit, apparently, the big resignation. So talk a little bit about the landscape right now. So the landscape right now is very weird. Americans have been on a shopping spree ever since about May of 2020. And global mm-hmm. supply chains just were not designed to accommodate this much demand, especially in the mm-hmm. U.S. Um, you know, on top of that, you have the Great Resignation, which you mentioned. And, you know, part of that is hitting jobs that are specifically kind of not great jobs in, in general, like trucking. So it's kind of hitting the supply chain as hard as any other area, you know, harder than hospitality, even in some ways. Mm-hmm. So you got a labor shortage, you got record demand because people still aren't going on vacations and they're just spending, spending, spending on goods. And then you just have all these weird bottlenecks, warehouses, rail yards, ports, ships. You don't have enough shipping containers. Factories get shut down every month or two somewhere in East Asia or Southeast Asia mm-hmm. because of the of course of zero COVID policy in China. Um, So we're all just kind of like on this grand journey together where we find out that if chip packaging in Malaysia shuts down for a month, you can't buy a, you know, Ford F-150 or whatever two months later Mm -hmm. in the U.S. Right. All right. Uh, So what is the solution? I know there's been all sorts of things proposed, but from your perspective, what is the solution to what's happening? Well, a recession is always a quick and dirty solution to these oh. kinds of problems. Yeah. <laughs> we don't like that. That's a bad solution. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, short of that, uh, you, what you would like is for people to um, kind of rebalance supply chains in ways that are maybe are a little more sustainable. And, you know, c- market economics are kind of doing their job right now. Like you see Amazon advertising. Mm-hmm. Uh, right now, if you want to go work in a typical Amazon warehouse, you can get a $3,000 uh, starting bonus and 22 bucks mm-hmm. an hour, which is well right. above what, you know, Jeff Bezos yeah. was touting when they went to 15 an hour. Trucking's a little harder because it's just a really shit job in a lot of ways, long haul trucking and no amount of money mm-hmm. is going to get people back into that at the rates that we need them. And then you have startups tackling like weird parts of the supply chain that nobody ever understood were an issue. Like um, there's this one called Next Trucking, which is tackling scheduling of trucks in and out of ports, mm-hmm. which turns out to be mm-hmm. this enormous sure. pain point on the West Coast in the U.S. So it's a, you know, hopefully you get better regulation. There is some stuff in the infrastructure bill, if that passes, that would help. Um, you know, some of what we're seeing is, you know, you think of Los Angeles, you think of Hollywood, but like mm-hmm. L.A. is a very industrial place. And over the past 10 years, 
for every $1 that the federal government has invested in ports on the West Coast, they invented $9 in mm-hmm. ports on the East Coast. So in some ways, this is like a supply crunch of our own making. So hopefully with the infrastructure bill, uh, they won't just spend it on more highways or whatever. They'll spend it on, you know, bigger and better ports. And then there's all kinds of weird things happening. Like there's going to be a lot more automation coming to those ports. And those robots in certain jobs really do make a big make difference. A difference. Right, yeah. right, as they as they have. Scott? First off, just a couple of questions. How long did it take you to bring your book to market? That's a little supply chain humor, Christopher. <laughs> That's a little supply chain. Oh and most importantly, you asked me to blurb your book. Why didn't you ask Kara? Yeah. Hey, you know, it's not important. Let's move on. Anyways, anyways. <laughs> okay. By the way, I think Christopher's a total fucking gangster. I love your work, Christopher. Um, one thing in your book that just blew me away, the moment you click order on Amazon— it's out of the warehouse in 45 minutes. It strikes me that they are just operating at an absolute yeah. different level than the rest of everyone. Can you talk about the investments Amazon has made? Because you they started to write a book about Amazon and widened it out. But talk about that. That's yeah. absolutely true. They seem to be the logistics kings or emperors. Or yeah. I mean, Amazon, you know, they, the same way that Apple has this tremendous lead over everybody in terms of chip design, which, you know, is happening as, as we record this, as they announce a new faster than ever MacBook Pro and mm-hmm. everything. Amazon has a lead over everybody in terms of like warehouse design, the software that runs warehouses, the robots that um, populate those warehouses. And that's because, you know, they bought Kiva, which was this robot provider to like the whole logistics industry. And they they fully ingested it and cut off all its outside contracts. And now, um, you know, those robots make their warehouses yeah, I think Deutsche Bank estimated that they are like 40% more efficient than they were before they had all this mm-hmm. robotics. Um, and they just keep adding more and more new kinds of robots and new kinds of Amazon fulfillment centers because they're just treating it like it's a big software problem. Anytime they can bring in these robots that can operate in a very consistent way, it just becomes a software problem that their engineers can solve in that way. And then the human just becomes kind of embedded in that automation mm-hmm. and the human has to function like a robot, which is why you got all these reports about there being so many injuries in Amazon warehouses, because the evidence is that the more automation they added, it actually increased the injury rate because hmm. it's just a repetitive stress industry. Be- sorry, repetitive stress injury, because people's doing this over and over and over again, 10 hours a day, you know, with three breaks, they're going to get some kind of injury if they're older than 25. Sure. I, I have a couple of questions about second order effects. I think supply chain is turning out to be the biggest business story of the year. And we don't even, there's just going to be so many um, externalities. I don't know what the term is, but one is you referenced. And that is for 40 years, uh, if you think of shareholders, consumers, and workers, workers have been ceding advantage and capital to, to consumers and shareholders. And it feels like in a violent way, there is a perfect storm where workers are starting to get some of that ground back. And you referenced it, where all of a sudden we're going from 15 to 20 to 22 bucks. I'm on the board of a consumer company right now, and it's just crazy what we need to do to get to get people. The other thing that people aren't talking about is the geopolitical consideration. And that is, I saw for the first time China's growth was at 4.9%. That's the lowest in 30 years. We It strikes me that there might be a geopolitical shift back of power to the U.S. because our fulfillment is in zeros and ones, and their fulfillment is in and stuff is this does this have huge geopolitical ramifications that quite frankly the us our fulfillment infrastructure as a services based economy is humming and china's the big loser here maybe i think if china becomes the big loser it is 
not so much a trade-off with the United States as with the mm -hmm. rest of Asia, Mexico, hmm. elsewhere. And that is because what you're seeing is, we, I mean, we don't have the labor in the U.S., to reshore all this manufacturing that went to China. We just don't. It right. takes a certain number of, unless we are going to do complete open borders and we're going to go to, you know, a billion Americans, we don't have the labor to make all the stuff we consume. Just straight up do not. And we cannot automate it away yet. But what you're seeing is companies are like, oh crap, our supply chains are incredibly vulnerable. Let's not forget that before the pandemic, we had a trade war, which really kicked off all of this move out of China mm -hmm. and was the reason that in my reporting, I went to Vietnam as sort of the avatar of Southeast Asia instead of going to China. Um, so you could see manufacturing move more and more into Vietnam, Thailand, the Philippines. Uh, let's not forget that India has 1.3 billion people. Like they could, they could be the world's next China if they can get their act together in some ways. So I think supply chains are still gonna be long but what you're going to have is Nike is going to have a factory in China and they'll have a factory in Vietnam. And maybe they'll also have a factory in India or somewhere so else. Diversify. So diversify. you have some redundancy. Diversify. Yes. So and me, you could can see I ask a that? bunch why of not, moving to Mexico. Why not the U.S.? Uh, why not? I just interviewed Ferris Dockman about her book about work, you know, American made. Um, and people have talked about it. People at Apple have talked about it more on certain things, not everything like the Gorilla Glass, et cetera. Why not? Because online shopping obviously has been rising during the pandemic. Everybody's ordering and comfortable with ordering in the way, the new way people are buying. Even though people say to buy local, they're really using Amazon much more heavily. So do you imagine there being a manufacturing here? And could someone like Amazon lead it just in time manufacturing? Or I, I'm just picking someone I'm throwing out, but do you imagine that a trend or is it still just too expensive, too much regulation, et cetera? I mean, let's not forget that America still makes a ton of stuff. By dollar yes. mm -hmm. value of goods, we make the same amount as China. So I think that, that again, the issue here in America is, you know, we just don't have the labor. Like we, if Amazon can pay you $22 an hour and a $3,000 hiring bonus to distribute the goods that are made in Asia, now, if Amazon wants to get into manufacturing, they're competing with themselves for that mm -hmm. labor. Like, we need all the labor we can get just to distribute all the crap that we buy. So it is. It, it would be, you know, look, you do have Intel that's going to, like, get whatever it is, tens of billions in subsidies to put more chip fabs in the United States. But let's not forget that, like, while that is specialized and it's high value, chip fabs and this other type of high value manufacturing that the U.S. still is great at, it's not super labor intensive, right? Like you build a new mm -hmm. data center, it's like the least labor intensive, most economically right. productive thing ever, which is why so you, you don't know, the see big that, four that, are all that tech idea. companies. So you don't see that because of labor and regulation, presumably. Yeah, it would be tough. I mean, look, there's a ton of stuff that America, st we just forget how much America makes. Like we make trains. I have mm -hmm. a cousin who works at a pump factory. Let me tell you, pumps in a world of extreme weather are doing better than ever. Um, you know, mm -hmm. go work at the pump yeah. factory if you need a job. Like, there's commercial just tons jetliners, of all kinds of things. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, we, we just make we so much. Yeah. We, we make all of the. We make so much of the specialized equipment that gets shipped to Asia mm -hmm. to make the chips and the oh, LCD right, displays right. and everything else. Like a lot of that high value stuff is still. It's still in here. and around Silicon Valley so, so and elsewhere. That, I guess begs the question: Should we be making so much stuff? You would. Uh, uh, they had talked about the supply 
chain crisis being the fact that everybody just orders instantly has gotten into this way. You don't buy local. You don't use strip. The sustainability retail has been one of the things. Uh, my kids even mentioned it this weekend. Like it was it just uh, how do you look at that trend? Or is that just like, forget it, human beings are going to suck up every piece of equipment in the world until we're done? Yeah, I mean, I do think that that in the same way you had a few years ago, this this movement towards time well spent, it is worth thinking about the exact same kind of brain hacks that have gotten us to just scroll and scroll and scroll and taken up all of our time have been used to get us to just buy and buy and buy. Like one-click shopping, eliminating all of that friction has definitely made us that much more willing to consume. So, I mean, I do, I, you're right, it's human nature. And and um, I kind of hope that some of these supply chain disruptions will make people pause and think about that a little more, be more conscientious about what and how they buy. But you know, it's you're Come never going to. Christopher, I know. Give yeah, me the don't blank. Bet on Give it. Daddy the blank. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, I, let's move to uh, let's move to an investment thesis. Given the dramatic change in supply chain and the fact that it's. It's just kind of all of a sudden reared, I don't want to say reared its ugly head, but it's just shown how incredibly important it was and how, how spoiled we were. Do you find, do you think certain sectors or certain companies are especially well-positioned or vulnerable? Let's just assume, I'm going to assume Amazon's mm-hmm. going to be a big winner here. So let's take right. that one off the table. Is it video game companies where we're going to be downloading video games on Christmas instead of trying to figure out, you know, the, the toys, physical stuff? Are, is Apple really well positioned because they have a guy, basically a supply chain guy running the company? And who's vulnerable? Who are the winners and losers here yeah. from an investment thesis? Yeah, I mean, who's vulnerable are people who are moving low margin goods. And I'm not mm-hmm. sure exactly how to turn that into an investment thesis, but like, I don't know, maybe there's a secret threat to Dollar General or something. Uh, because so many of the low margin goods can't get to us anymore because, you know, if, if the spot price of a shipping container went from $2,000 to 20 to get it mm-hmm. across the ocean, then there's mm-hmm. tons of stuff that it's not profitable to move here at any price that anyone will pay. Um, I think you're right. Apple's in a great position, although even they have said that this is going to impact iPhone 13 production, the chip shortage. Yep, um, you do. know, automakers are obviously taking a bath. I do think that virtual goods are a winner, right? Because, you know, like there's a big problem now getting books, physical books to people. People have been resistant to, you know, ebooks for a long time. I think 70% of reading is still paper books. But like, you know, I, I mean, that's a bet on Amazon again. You know, it's it's with the with the big retailers, it really is a big get bigger type of situation because whether you're talking about Lowe's or Walmart or even IKEA, they have the resources to requisition a certain number of shipping containers and ships. And then what happens is everybody else gets squeezed out. And and I think one of the right. challenges you have is you have some old line industries like people who are going to export agricultural commodities end up being the weird victims of this because they're like, we can't get enough shipping containers to get soybeans to China. And then they get hit. So there, I think there's going to be like third order effects where China's like, oh, shit, we are short 20% of the soybeans that we normally import and we can't produce enough pork or something like that. And that has some downstream impacts that I can't even predict. All right, Chris, uh, so your book is going to be all virtual then, right? No, no, they're selling actual (laughs) copies of it. I was just telling you I ordered seven things from Amazon while we were talking. Um, No, I didn't. I don't. But we've become very used to it. It's really, I think the pandemic has accelerated a lot of things that Scott and I talk about. And this is one of them, is the the use of uh, just-in-time 
purchasing. And I think going the idea of going back to local thrift shops, people just push that button. It's a really interesting So, Christopher, thing. you deserve an award for literally the most perfect time perfect in the world. Timing. If this book is not a bestseller, <laughs> it means your book really fucking sucks. Yes. I mean, it, it could be. Literally, it, 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 the moons have lined up in the a big way for aligned. you. So, a book on supply chain coming out this so week. So, a book called <laughs> well Arriving done, Today. Well done, my brother. Well book done. Called, a book called Arriving Today is arriving today. Thank you, Christopher. Thank you so much for having me. All right, Scott, that was fascinating. Supply chain. One more quick break. We'll be back. And by the way, those were very good questions, Scott. We'll be back for wins and fails. Support for Pivot comes from Hidden Layer. It seems like everywhere you look, industries are turning to generative AI. We talk about it a lot on this show. Businesses can generate more ideas, answers, connections, solutions, and momentum. But at the same time, security teams are forced to slow down that progress so they can make sure AI adoption is safe and responsible. Hidden Layer's AI detection and response platform secures generative AI and large language models from malicious attacks, leaking of confidential information, and intellectual property theft. Hidden Layer helps you generate more by enabling seamless, secure generative AI. Here's how it works. AI detection and response protects businesses from potential attacks by monitoring and analyzing the inputs and outputs of their generative AI applications, blocking harmful transactions and alerting security teams in real time, allowing organizations to accelerate their AI adoption with speed. Customers in finance, technology, healthcare, and even the U.S. Department of Defense trust Hidden Layer to protect their AI today. Plus, Hidden Layer was named Most Innovative Startup at RSA, the most significant cybersecurity conference in the nation. With Hidden Layer, go from pause to possibilities. Generate more with Hidden Layer. Visit hiddenlayer.com slash pivot to learn more about Hidden Layer's AI detection and response solution. Okay, Scott, wins and fails. Uh, I, I don't have any. I don't have any. No? Yeah. I see one of us prepared for this podcast. Yes, I didn't. I you just, need I, okay, to start I failed, investing in failed. this relationship. All these people talking, giving Pete Buttigieg a hard time. I'm going to personally oh, beat up all of ridiculous. them. Just ridiculous. You know, Matt, whatever that guy's name is, Walsh or whatever, and Steven Crowder. They're dicks. They're just, they're not dicks. They're dickless. How's that? All right, go ahead. That's my fail. <laughs> um. So my win is, well, I'll start with my fail. So the one I know okay. on an optimistic note, my fail is I, I think this is a really important dialogue we're having around uh, transgender rights, transphobia. And I think that there's a lot to be learned here. And I think David uh, Chappelle and Netflix have, have been a positive force in this. I think that it's, it's good to have a, a thought provoking conversation and a dialogue. And I think that that what we need more of is uh, uh, not a reflexive gag reflex to make an immediate assumption or judgment and then move to destruction. That it's the other side's fault, the other side's too sensitive, or this side is is creating you know more transphobia, so we need to cancel them. I think there just has to be. We have to flip the ratio from twenty percent dialogue and eighty percent destruction, and talk about okay. Let's learn from this. This is an opportunity. And I do think that... I agree with you. The only thing is this is a group of people getting the shit kicked out of them right as we speak. That's the only thing I wish people would keep in mind. But but tell me if you agree with this. I think this long-term or short, medium, and long-term is good for the trans community. I think a lot of people are spending time on this issue that weren't before, that made snap judgments about this community and are recognizing that this community has taken it. it, it. America is basically... 
Be the person you want to be, and you're afforded certain protections. And it's coming to light that these people have not uh, have not benefited from that Americanism. And I think we're going to evolve and get to a better place because of this dialogue. I also think that we're going uh, it, to—it's a warrant. It, it's a conversation worth having. But I think there has to be more dialogue and less destruction. But dialogue through the context of comedy is really powerful because it takes your guard down. It takes it takes the it takes the the mucous membrane around the bubble you're in, and it softens it. And it says, okay, okay maybe you should be open to listening from both sides. So uh, my fail, like my fail, if you will, is I'd like to see more dialogue and less move to destruction on both sides. And two, oh, my win. I saw the Bond film. Yeah, and? And my Good. win is Daniel Craig. I think Daniel Craig cements himself yep. in 10 years. When we look mm-hmm. back, you know, there's always that big thing, like, who's the best Bond? Yeah. In Sean 10 Connor. years, seven of 10 people, critics, will say that Daniel Craig was the best Bond. Oh, right. He was not the most handsome. Roger Moore and Sean Connery were more handsome, but he was the most, the physicality he brought to the world yeah. was really impressive. He's also you actually complex. believe he and Bond, or I'm sorry, he and um, Connery were the only two Bonds that really credibly could have, you felt, could kill people with their hands. Yeah. The physicality was really impressive. And also, also, he'll go down is the best actor in the role. He's yeah, a great emotionality. Connor Connery was just mean, like just like tough as nails. Connery was just a badass, badass, and but I think impermeable. Craig, he has feelings. Daniel Craig's a fantastic actor. Munich, yeah. Layer Cake, which I think was his best movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, Knives Out. He's a great. He I agree. really is a legitimately a great actor. I think that he Daniel is. Craig cements his status. It's a great movie. As what will he will be perceived? Uh, he will win that trivia game eventually over who is the best Bond. Uh, so, I, anyways, my well, win then is I Daniel do have a Craig in the short win was uh, the Squid Game skit on SNL with Rami Malek, who plays the villain in that movie, uh, That's right. and uh, and Pete Davidson was very very funny, and I, you know Daniel Cage showed up. That was SNL. very good. Yeah. yeah, good ones, good one. I like it. All right, Scott, because like he's a handsome drink a man, isn't he? He's a ha- he's a he's got yeah handsome no, that guy, man. That guy's and all that. It's not a young man. He's fifty three. Yeah. That body at fifty three. Yeah, that's serious good. shit. Anyway, Scott. Thank you for uh, and he's married to Rachel Weisz. I think we'd all be really good friends. I think yeah, we should hang out with Rachel. I don't, I don't Rachel think he's going to hang out with you. I don't think he's going. You don't think so? Maybe you if you wore so? the dress. Who knows? Anyway, that's the show. Anyway, read us up. Today's show was produced by Lara Naiman, Evan Engel, and Taylor Griffin, Ernie Anstott engineered this episode. Thank you also to Drew Bros. Make sure you subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or if you're an Android user. Check us out on Spotify, frankly, wherever you listen to podcasts. If you liked our show, please recommend it to a friend. Our next episode tapes live from Adweek in New York City. Check it out on Friday. Thanks for listening to Pivot from New York Magazine and Vox Media. Let's move to dialogue. Let's move to dialogue. Let's hold off the destruction demon at the door for just a little bit longer. Let's show more grace with each other. Dialogue, not destruction. Support for this show comes from Fundrise. Buy low, sell high. It's easy to say, hard to do. For example, high interest rates are crushing the real estate market right now. Demand is dropping and prices are falling, even for many of the best assets. It's no wonder the Fundrise flagship fund plans to go on a buying spree, expanding its billion-dollar real estate portfolio over the next few months. You can add the Fundrise flagship fund to your portfolio in just minutes and with as little as $10 by visiting Fundrise.com Fox. Carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the Fundrise flagship fund before investing. 
This and other information can be found in the fund's prospectus at fundrise.com flagship. This is a paid advertisement. Support for this show comes from Wix Studio. Designers and devs, you might be able to do your thing better on Wix Studio, a web platform with everything you need to deliver bespoke sites hyper-efficiently. Design teams get a ton of smart features that can take the grind out of web creation without it costing per-pixel control. Dev teams, you get a zero-setup, developer-first environment, combined with an AI code assistant and your preferred IDE for rapid deployment. Search Wix Studio today to explore the full range of features.